Hi and welcome to the Energy Mix. My name's Barnaby Smeaton, joined by my co-host Andrew. Andrew, how are you? Uh, yeah, good, mate. Looking forward to uh, rambling on. In a yeah, podcast yeah. It's, we've had a little, a little uh, hiatus again, but um, this year is um, has been nominated, I think, by the UN. Was it as as Year of the Climate? Um, uh, definitely by the BBC, but yeah, I think the UN as well. And David Attenborough today. Um, says this is the year we've got to make a difference yeah um so um okay maybe not the un but the bbc at least um so i think it's it's a it's a great time to get back into um get back into our podcasting as um as you probably have we've had loads of people asking us to 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 put out some some new episodes and get some new guests on i think I think though it'd be good to just do a little bit of a runaround of uh, energy news, and I think you have you have an item you you'd like to talk about. Well, I, I think I should always start with what happened in UK electricity over the past yep. twelve months. Something I tracked through MyGrid GB and uh, other platforms. Um, uh, small plug: uh, there's about to be launched MyGrid Bulgaria. Someone's contacted me and said, "I like MyGrid. I want to do this in Bulgaria. Can I borrow your logo?" I was like, Go for it, man. So that's uh, watch this space. Hot off the press, that. But yeah, no, uh, real. I think um, twenty nineteen was pretty interesting for British electricity. Um, uh, renewables really um, maintaining their position as um, or you know big providers of electricity, majority of electricity coming from low carbon sources. What really struck me though in the last year solar generated about twice as much electricity as the UK coal power stations which um, really tells you uh, not necessarily how much solar is growing but how little coal now provides uh, in, in Britain yeah it's ex- extraordinary um, it's extraordinary that it was just as recently as 2013 2012 that coal provided about 50 percent hmm. of electricity so, it's yeah. pretty amazing and um, but I guess the the interesting other interesting piece last year was that renewables didn't really grow that much um, some analysis by carbon brief saying there was a growth of um, less than one percent in terms of the amount that uh, wind solar nuclear hydro and biomass provided mm-hmm. um, so you know that investment's got to continue or grow in order to meet our climate objectives and with the big climate summit in Glasgow, the new government's going to have to show some real leadership. I'm afraid. Yeah, it, it on the sort of ground level of of investment and development, that is what it looks like as well. Been very little activity, and just the marginal sites that have something special, like they have a a solid long term off taker uh, for the power, uh, or there's some other reason that yep. it's financially viable otherwise things have been really slow and everyone's talking about how to actually finance deals in the absence of something like a cfd so um hopefully hopefully some policy clarity comes out that gets capital moving again yeah it's it's been pretty pretty obviously pretty hairy in british politics and i don't think either is want to go into the party politics but i guess it's pretty reflective of our of our a parliament that's not been moving and has been not being uh, innovating on policy for whatever reason, which which is a shame because you know you see some big, big renewable projects going on around the world now, um, huge projects, solar century in Spain, for example, uh, you know growth and big projects being announced in New Zealand where where I work. So 
yeah, it's a shame. Shame to see the UK have a have a slow year, and that should return in the coming coming years with some good policy from government. Yeah, um, Poland's a good example of of a of a of a government that um, that has decided to that it has to get um, to get on board with with solar. I was looking at it end of last year, and um, they've now had several CFD auctions is another intended for the end of the year surprisingly ir- radiation right. in polar I- in Poland is is as good as southern England in some cases even better and so uh, Poland's right. building up a, a solar sector uh, of the order of, of a couple of gigawatts over a few years so it can be done um, and um, in this case, there's severe severe financial severe financial penalties, which are which are forcing them to create these CFD auctions. But I think the really exciting thing is it's a it's a specific example. I think where a government's copied a British policy that worked well, and that's the whole thing about mm-hmm. acting and and designing markets is that other governments watch, see if it works out well, and they'll they'll act accordingly. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really reflects in my experience in New Zealand, seeing, uh, you know, the government there really looking at what British policy are doing, looking to put the best parts in, and obviously learning from some of the things that went wrong, uh, particularly the the boom and bust that uh, the renewables energy industry sees, the impact that has on jobs, and um, really interesting, I would say, to see what's going to happen in New Zealand. They've got a big consultation out specifically called accelerating renewable energy for heat and electricity really interesting to see what that does in the next few months Um, something we'll pick up i'm sure if we're recording in a few months um hope we will be uh yeah um did you have anything you want to pick up specifically i've I've got a couple of pieces of news that i think are worth note but what was going on in your brain barney yeah, so Poland, I think, is a good news story that's that's come out lately. Um, as you mentioned, Spain and Portugal are also pretty buoyant markets. That's been assisted a lot by by corporate PPAs that have allowed um, allowed yep. um, um, that have made projects financially viable without any any kind of subsidy. Um, hopefully that extends across to renewable gas as well. I was looking that looking that up um, last week, and I think hopefully that um, the um, solar is just uh, just just the start of of a general shift in in, in generation. Um, so I guess my news item is that is that the EU is starting to look at biomethane and um, to provide grant funding. The other thing I think that'll need to happen, though, mm-hmm. is um, that national governments need to, to put in some kind of support mechanism to to allow a biomethane sector to grow up in their country, as has been done in the UK and has been done in, in Germany. But I think other countries need to start to look at that. So the EU, I think, is going to start moving yeah. in that direction. So that's my, my news item. What's yours? Uh, I mean, uh, pretty interesting, really, and, and I've got something I would like to talk about vehicles later on. But you know, I I've stopped noticing electric cars now. In that I see them and I go, "That's cool." Whereas before, it's like, "Oh, electric car! Wow, it's the future!" You know, it's kind of kind of felt it's happening, and 
you see talk of smart chargers appearing and you know charging stations are pretty common now um but you know news out at the moment suggesting that britain's not ready for them they're worried about the impact of peak demand um causing shortages of electricity in the uk um all the the stuff listeners probably know about what really struck me though was i think that's a real acceptance that evs are happening are expected to rapidly increase in sales in the next few years whether it be that full battery vehicles or vehicles that uh, have a battery combined with a, a traditional petrol or diesel engine the sort of plug-in vehicles so uh, yeah i think it's pretty pretty exciting what's coming uh, in the transport sector yeah really jumped out at me yeah, uh, an example that I can think of along the same lines is I saw a company at a conference last year that has big plans to roll out electric um, forecourts, highway-based electric charging stations that are yeah. 100% dedicated to all sorts of different electric vehicles, all sorts of different charging rates, um, a car showroom, places for the kids to play, shops, cafes, the whole works, not just making it kind of a, a, um, a crappy tack on to an existing petrol station so I think hopefully there's a feedback loop of of the infrastructure plus people feeling comfortable about buying cars and then that encourages the infrastructure so hopefully that kind of good loop yeah. continues yeah they I think I think if it's the same company I think they, they approached me trying to employ me um, a few months ago really really interesting business model really interesting yep Hey, I mean, the other thing that I've found, I mean, I'm obviously, I'm pretty, pretty keen on, on being green and renewable and, and, you know, developing this stuff and spending time with recording. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's worth, it's worth saying, you know, last year was pretty difficult personally for me. My dad was you know, diagnosed with cancer in January, passed away in June. And uh, with relevance to the podcast, uh, one of the things that he really excited about while still watching old episodes of Grand Tour and Top Gear was he wanted a kit car. So my brother and I and him, we went three ways on a kit car and we got it in December. And um, I, I, I mean, I, I did it for dad. I wanted this sports car, but there was always a, uh, you know, hey, what does this mean in terms of the carbon journey? And uh, so I asked the guys, I said, well, what are you doing? And they went, well, we built an electric and it's good, but you know, so great British sports cars in Ollerton, North Knox. And I said, well, what about biofuel? And I went, oh, well, we never thought about that. Lava think. And Lava think came back. And now for me, I was excited for the prospect of having biofuel because it's, it's green. And this is a kit car company. And they were like, yeah, yeah, this is a great idea. You get 30 extra horsepower because the biofuel's got ah, so much more right. energy to it. So... It was this really interesting sort of, hey, you know, I'm trying to be green here. Um, compared uh, to ordinary ox taking a, a petrol engine, converting it over, but compared, yeah, compared to a petrol motor, it's actually a better, a better kit car. So, um, yeah, so I'm really, uh, really excited about that. The car's half built at the moment and um, be great to report back and say how well it's actually going, where we're getting biofuel from. Um, some of the challenges we have and yep. opportunities it brings. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. So it is a, that's so exciting. You should. Field. It's really cool. Eh? You should send a selfie to Jeremy Clarkson to uh, just 
just tell him that you can be a petrol head and be green at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I haven't fact-checked this. We shouldn't be putting things that aren't facts out, but the pub chat last night was that Clarkson's agreed that climate change is real and human-induced. All right. If true, that is a groundbreaking change in uh, international uh, climate action, I would argue. But yes, so... Uh, by Phil Swartzgard. Yeah, I mean, easy easy to snigger, but if if he if he comes out and and mentions that uh, on his Twitter or whatever platform, um, then I guess I yeah. guess it helps it helps raise it helps raise awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's important we debate this, but. Whilst the majority of the world scientists think climate change is real and human-induced, that should be enough of an argument for most people that we should. There's the old maxim that politics is downstream of culture, and I guess someone like Jeremy Clarkson um, is is in culture. So you know you want to you want to influence the culture. Um, That'll have a knock-on effect on hopefully politics, market design, and then and then infrastructure. So. I'm told a, a member of uh, a member of his family plays bridge with my nan, and apparently she's a very nice lady. So I've got lots of respect. Don't know if my nan wins, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so yeah, there's lots going on in energy and lots going to happen. Um, I guess the um, the key is what's next on the journey, right? Uh, a lot of focus on transport, heat in New Zealand. Hopefully, heat here, low carbon leads and. We've got some good guests lined up to talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and I think um, I think also market design as well um, is going to increasingly mm. be uh, be a new topic because a lot of work has been done in decarbonizing electricity, but the, the solutions that worked for getting capital into electricity may not be the right solutions for. For more global industries like like shipping and aviation and, and so on so i'm hoping we get an economics We've researcher on who's written quite a few papers about um renewable energy finance so watch watch that watch That'd that space amazing. One, one of the other things uh, just a small snippet that has impressed me recently yeah so i live in retford east coast mainline at king's cross and uh it's an electric railway from london to edinburgh but uh, until recently, diesel trains were running under those wires all the way up to Scotland and Inverness and Hull. And the reason that that was is, you know, if you're sending a train to Aberdeen from London, once it gets out of the wires at Edinburgh, it needs to run itself. It's got to run on diesel. And the train operators are now running what they call bi trains. So previously they would have run all the way to Edinburgh on diesel. Now they run on electric to diesel and then switch their diesel engines on. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing the carbon reduction and local pollutants reduction as a result of that change. A a very simple technology change. Uh, Having the capacity to take electricity or run on fuel, it's got a lot of benefits. And, um, uh, you know, really excited by that. I get excited by trains anyway, but this is particularly exciting. I I might be wrong, but I I'm, I'm fairly sure that their locomotives 
have a diesel engine which runs electric motors anyway. It's 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 an electric drivetrain. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. Um, it's um, presumably presumably the weight the weight trade off of using battery ultimately using batteries instead of a diesel powertrain may not be too bad. Um, yeah, I mean, at the moment, it's uh, electric straight to yep. the wheels or, or to the motors. Or uh, when there's no uh, overhead lines, you switch the diesel engine on. Um, there is a lot of work going on looking at battery trains. And you've certainly got a platform to be able to experiment yep. with that now. Um, and that's, uh, again, very exciting. You know, the, the other aspect is, if all the power goes out, your trains can still run if they've got a battery or a diesel engine, right? So great for resiliency and keeping people uh keeping people well, out of delays and able to yeah that's out. a that's a really salient example given the outages in august where people had to were stuck in trains and trains were were took hours to to re restart and move so it's a good example there's a big yep. item i'd like to discuss uh which is mm. your book pretty exciting um and I think our listeners may not know about it. Um, if they follow you on LinkedIn, they've probably seen some posts. But yeah, tell us all about it. I mean, this is this is this is huge. I mean, I, just full disclosure to our listeners. I mean, we I did know this was coming. This is a planned planned segue, but delivered brilliantly. I have to say, uh, well done. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what's the box of context? So, a few years ago. Um, I was uh, working in London developing solar projects but also um, spending my weekends up in Scotland with my, my girlfriend at the time and spending a lot of time on sleeper trains and uh, I was like you know why does that link to a book Andrew well I mean pretty obviously it was a choice between getting drunk or doing something with my time and uh, I kind of realized like, hey, you know, I've got all this data about where Britain's power is coming from and I kind of model out and look at different decarbonisation scenarios. Why, why, not, why not have a play? And so I built up this little little thing and I thought, hey, I think I can prove that decarbonisation works, that if we build more wind and we build more solar and we build more biomass or uh, some nuclear, whatever the mix people wanted, I believe that over the year we could meet our carbon targets. So I started analysing this and communicating it through Twitter and I had a simulation on uh, the Migrid GB website looking at different decarbonisation scenarios in real time. And it was kind of good. I thought, you know what, what I really want to do is write about this. So um, I just dived in and started writing. Um, three years talking about where does electricity come from, what it might look like in the future, and how we might decarbonise Britain's electricity system. Now, that in itself, I think, sounds quite uh, potentially interesting to our readers, but uh, listeners, but a, a, a broader audience, perhaps not. So she spent quite a lot of time just um, rewording it all, getting it really simple, getting it to a point where anyone could understand it. And it's kind of targeted at the kind of 16, 18 year olds just going into university, starting out their careers and hopefully just saying, hey, this is possible. Hey, this is interesting. Hey, here's why this might be interesting to you in terms of your career. Um, so, yeah, decarbonize electricity 
made simple. I got a publishing deal in January 2019 and it came out in, in September. And I'll find out in the next few days if anyone's actually bought a copy. Um, my employer bought 10, which was very kind of them. Um, but yes. You, yeah, I haven't seen you post about it for a little while on, on LinkedIn. So you'll have to nudge some people um, myself included to um, buy a yeah. copy, read it, and then give a testimonial on it. Yeah. Um, hopefully, your, hopefully I've your had boss no, no bad it. reviews on Amazon. All oh, right. No, no bad reviews or no reviews. I've, I've had no, no bad, uh, both okay. the same. So you know, no bad reviews, no reviews. It's kind of uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty good. And uh, oh, there's twenty. I'm just looking now. I've got. So I've sold at least 30 because there's 30 on sale for second-hand books at the original value. So okay. that's pretty good. Um, yeah, uh, I'm pretty proud of it. And it was a great thing to you know, share with Dad as he was being ill and talk about. And a lot of the ideas in there were his mm -hmm. as well, talking mm -hmm. things through. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to to give people information that's unbiased, let people look at what, what I've said um, there's plenty of information in there about why what I'm saying might not be a, a good thing or some of the challenges it raises so um, hopefully it, it just you know gives people a bit of a an understanding of that how the how the system works and what I do and reflect on some of the awesome stuff people are, uh, are out there doing day in day out in renewables. Could you tell us a little more about how you went about the analysis was it was it sort of primarily from the level of of resource in the country and and how yep so yeah. sort of a bottom up yeah so i i i got data which is publicly available on how much people were using at different times of the year how much wind resource there was how much solar resource there was how the nuclear power stations were doing if there's any outages what the gas mm -hmm. was doing and you can mix those around you can double the wind and say hey what would twice as much wind kind of look like or what does twice as much solar kind of look like and, and just extrapolate those you, those patterns and were you and trying to optimize it for the kind of lowest overall um the lowest kind of um, overall economic cost um no uh i, I thought about talking about cost and like economics but, marginal cost hey you know it's 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 difficult and i think it's complex and the principle of the book is does it work uh, not necessarily is it the cheapest way of, of achieving the primary objective which is decarbonization uh, and you know i would i would i would actually probably correct myself there and say the objective is decarbonization reducing energy bills and increasing energy mm -hmm. security uh, but the you know to start to model cost you've got to understand hey if i have this enormous wind industry does that mean wind prices mm. go up or down if i start changing fossil fuel power stations and running all the time to running as backup that changes the economic composition of those of those power stations what, what did so, you you know i stayed sure. out of that what did you assume for gas how does gas decarbonize what do you mean i mean gas for electricity uh, the, gas the, for um, gas for power stations yeah, I mean, so yeah, so the the UK target um, is to achieve a highly renewable mm -hmm. power system. Okay, so 
what I'm kind of finding in this analysis is if you build more nukes and more wind and more solar and more biomass, more hydro, if you've got the potential as you do in some countries, most of the time there's enough wind, there's enough battery storage, there's enough solar, there's enough whatever to meet what you need. And if you combine that with energy efficiency, you reduce the amount you actually need to do the tasks you, you, you want. And you get, I found you got to a point where you, you're needing gas for a fraction of the year. And that to me gets really interesting. So we very rapidly can decrease the amount of carbon we need or produce in order to make electricity. And we get the gas volume to something that's a fraction of the time. And uh, you think I should stop there and say, well, hey, that just means we're just we're still relying on fossil fuels. Hey, we're still burning gas. That's what you said. But what I would argue is you're getting your highest cost fuel down to a low volume and you open up mm -hmm. alternatives. So, hey, if I only need a small amount of gas, why can't I get that from anaerobic digesters or bio biogas yeah. or hydrogen that I import from abroad? Fuels that are difficult to produce if we produce you know, on mass, but things that are potentially very easy to produce if we need them at a small amount of the time. So that's that would be my proposition. I, I think it works extremely well in the UK. Um, done a lot of modelling in New Zealand that suggests they can be down to half a percent of their electricity coming from biofuels, which is which is pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd really hope that. Um, people read it and hey you know contact me and tell me if i'm right or wrong because it's a yep. debate and it's the whole principle of that thing is not to be right it's to stimulate yep. the right debate um, yeah and i th i think there's i think there's probably a gap between um between really substantial um works that are very dense and difficult to get through like um like some of the parliamentary um, um commissioned energy reviews and surveys and on the other end yeah. you know maybe a long a long piece in a magazine there's not so much in the middle that's that's sort of accessible but has a bit more depth than what you get out of out of a long form on a website so I think it, it it makes sense too in that in that sense that a high high school student or first year student can dive into it and get something a bit meatier. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the idea, and it's all part of the part of the mix. And you know, the objective was to write a book, and um, hopefully, I'll well done. With you. We'll see. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, I mean. Um, if listeners have got questions, I'd happily take them on another podcast, uh, energymixpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you know, send them in. Barney can uh, enter his Jeremy Paxman mode and interrogate. I'm, I'm not sure I'd take him as my yeah. my interview um, model, um, but hey, okay, good man. Yeah, I I I, I, I think um, yeah. Anyway. Um, I'm not the confrontational Good. style. No, you're not. <laughs> so, um, I th I think we should probably we should probably wrap up soonish. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to just briefly mention um, a, a story that, well, m more more 
more more than a story i suppose i had some some beers with some guys who are who are launching a startup whose focus is converting tires into fuels and um mm. much like splitting crude oil you can split the fractions of off used tires into range of different useful materials the really surprising thing was how much um how carbon intense a, a tire is so to make i believe to make the carbon black for a single car tire you have to burn about 30 to 40 liters of crude oil it's really an un unbelievable so um one of the fractions on convert on on, on um, um, you know recycling and 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 splitting um, the material in a tire is carbon black, and um, that carbon black can therefore go back into the economy, find its way into rubbers or other materials, and 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 um, and means that the um, it's displacing a pretty serious carbon footprint. So I thought that was really cool. I'm I'm I can't probably say lot. Hey, that's that's really interesting. Go on. Uh, I mean, I, I, so it's really interesting, mate. Like, uh, I mean, you, before we we started recording, you talked about tires, and you were going to talk about it, but I hadn't heard all the details. And you know, there's there's a really good book that I'd recommend. I recommend to a lot of people, and I recommend to people listening yourself. It's called uh, It's called The White Man's Burden, and it it talks about the early. Uh, it talk. It, it's a book framed around the Congo and the Belgian uh, the Belgian Congo and King Leopold in Congo. And a humanitarian crisis uh, as a result of rubber production and extraction uh, features very heavily in the book. And I was just reflecting on what you were saying that how carbon intensive rubber is and how much oil goes into it. In, in a future industry, we're going to have to get this rubber from somewhere else or you know, find something that replaces its use. You know, so no oil, are we going to start getting that from trees again? What's the impact of that on? sustainability and forests and we've seen impacts of that around the world recently are we going to be recycling it or reusing rubber are we not going to use rubber at all i don't know but you know this um it's pretty complex this this journey we're on and um, the impacts unintended and intended of decarbonization are, 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 you know if i was a young young lad looking at my career be thinking hey there's a lot of opportunities going on in transitioning the world to to a different way of doing things. yeah, yeah very very interesting example yeah, yeah and i think the thing that's quite interesting is that ever since probably um probably the second world war um globally there's been a trend you know a trend towards mass consumerism and products that have um, yeah. a short um you know, relatively short, um, serviceable life. Our grandparents' generation were very used to taking their shoes to be repaired and um, fixing things, all of that kind of stuff. And it's just funny that um, concern about the environment and climate is, in a way, um, bringing that back. Obviously, with different in different forms, but the concept of upcycling, the concept of products that don't just go, get thrown in the landfill. Um, but that, 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 that they can be harvested and the rare metals or other materials can be extracted out of them. I think that's really interesting. It's a huge, it's, it's a, it's a huge change um, against 50 to 60 mm. years of pretty um, disposable products. So that's, a, that's an interesting, you know, an interesting kind of change. 
um, we don't we don't yep. we don't um, touch on it so much um, because of the um, energy focus of the podcast, but um, it might be one way in which um, energy consumption to a net zero um, world is 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 able to plateau if if we're able to to recycle aluminium better if we're able to prevent um, yeah, yeah. Um, or reduce how much raw minerals we use so cheapest unit of electricity is the one you never use That's yeah I like to see it yeah cool I mean I really enjoyed recording yeah. again thanks for your time yeah. tonight Barney um, and I guess uh, I guess yeah, for listeners who've got questions energymixpodcast at gmail.com we do read them we really enjoy reading them and uh, be in touch and look forward to speaking to you again soon yeah speak to you soon bye